Welcome to another edition of the Gary Anderson F1 show. We've now had two races at Silverstone full of drama and controversy with tyre troubles and the technical uh, drama that's been going on at uh, Racing Point that doesn't show any signs of abating so far. So lots for us to talk about with Gary. But how are you getting on, Gary? Obviously, it's a little bit frustrating for you given that you had two Grand Prix weekends just down the road from you and you, you couldn't go and have a look. Yeah, I could step out the back door and hear, so I could uh, I could listen a little bit, but um, couldn't see anything. No, yeah, I mean it's frustrating, obviously, but you know the TV coverage is pretty good, and uh, you you actually see a lot more on the TV. You don't get the uh, the smell of the oily rags, but you do you do get uh, a lot more visible stuff, obviously, and you know the coverage is quite good, and uh, so that you know it's it's all right, it's it's okay at the minute. Um, one of the things, obviously, it's, it must be quite a lonely place at Silverstone, you know, even for a driver going around, because if you're used to seeing all those people, you know, and then suddenly there's nobody. It's um, it's a big old lonely place, I suppose, but uh, everybody's doing the best job they can, so let's get on with it. Yeah, it was uh, slightly strange. Yeah, I did the two Silverstones, and uh, yeah, you're very disconnected from everything, and it's all very, very quiet. It was very strange, a British Grand Prix or a 70th anniversary Grand Prix, as the second one was, just no grandstands, nobody there. But... The show must go on, and that's the, the way it needs to go. Uh, well, we've got loads to, to delve into uh, in this episode. We'll start off with an opening question. Actually, I've chosen two opening questions, just to break my own rules, because there's a couple of particularly good ones. The first one is picking up on the Ferrari situation from Kavane Kishore, who says, Are there any times you've been aware of conspiracy theories about different car performance within a team, such as Vettel's lack of pace, being true? Um, I've never really, I've never really seen it. I've never really experienced it in, in my own mind. I mean, some drivers need to be hyped up a little bit within themselves. Uh, some drivers just take it on the chin and get on with it. Um, I think personally, I think Sebastian is, is one of these drivers that needs his head straight and cleared and, and focused, you know, clearly being the wanted and needed, um, and I think whenever that's gone, then he struggles a little bit. And I think it was at you know, Red Bull in 2014 when Danny Ricciardo came in and did probably as good a job, if not better job, and won a couple of races and you know was was competitive whenever everything was against him with the uh, the Renault engine unit, PU unit. Um, so it seemed, his head seemed to get down a little bit then because you know he wasn't the total focus. The team will always head towards whoever's doing well. There'll always just be that extra bit of conversation or that extra slap in the back or whatever, you know? And some people can take that, some people can't. And I think Sebastian's one of those guys who just sort of can't handle it. And obviously that on top of um, the same thing happening at Ferrari and then him getting not his contract not renewed, has, I think it's just eating him up a little bit, to be honest. You know, everybody's talking about Ferrari, Um getting rid of Vettel early, uh, to be honest, I'd be surprised if he doesn't walk away just to get his head cleared because at the end of the day, yes, he's getting paid loads and loads of money. But, you know, you've got to love yourself. I think the bank account's not too bad. So, you know, you have to make some decisions sometimes for yourself. And maybe he'll, maybe he will just get broad shoulders and, and fight it all off and, and get back up there. But it's just looking like every weekend is that bit more of a drama for him. So uh, he's anyone knows. So let's see. But I don't think there's really any conspiracy theories that's productive for a team. You know, they've got two cars, they want to get the best out of them. Very, very seldom will you see anybody try to make a driver go slower. Other way around, you'll try to make a driver go faster if you're trying to get money out of his back pocket. You know, we've tried that often and run him on the, on the you know, very low fuel against a, a resident driver who's maybe on higher fuel, so you make the guy look good or something, um, try and drag some more money out of him, but uh, the other way around, no. 
Yeah, and actually, I think Vettel's performance at Silverstone was relatively in keeping with his history, though. It's not a great circuit for him. Last year at the British Grand Prix, he was about six cents off uh, off Leclerc in qualifying. So I think actually the, the performance side of things, that, to me, was in keeping with what, what you might expect from Vettel. So yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd uh, incline to agree with you that. Of course, the fact that there aren't necessarily these conspiracies going on against drivers, of course, doesn't mean that the drivers don't think there is. And that's perhaps the more powerful thing. Is it's very easy for you to get drivers who are paranoid, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely paranoid. And it'll always be something, you know, the chassis, I went over that curb, maybe it's cracked, maybe this, maybe that. Sometimes you have to do these things, just just change the chassis or change everything, basically, to, to get free up their mind. Um, you know, it's happened to me many, many times, but it hasn't been because of a, you know, a conspiracy within the team. It's just been because mentally they start to think there's something going on and, um, and, and until you can sort of wipe the slate clean, and get a decent result, you, you can't get it out of your head. I mean, I, I remember with uh, with Rubens and Eddie, um, at a point in time during their, their first season together, I mean, Rubens sort of got all upset that, you know, because the team was Irish, Eddie was Irish, I was from Ireland, um, Eddie Irvine Irish, he thought that the Irish mafia were working against him, you know, for a while. And it, it wasn't like that. It was just he was going through a bit of a tough period. Eddie was going through a bit of a, a sprightly period, and Eddie Irvine, I says, was so good at finding the weak spots of anybody mentally um, and just, you know, screwing them up. So he would be doing that in the background, and we wouldn't know about that. And suddenly, you know, the, there was a bit of a rebellion going on. But, you know, it wasn't to be. It just needed settling down and and, uh, and refocusing. And, you know, happily, we, we got all that done. But you can't, you know, people's minds are people's minds, minds and everybody's different. So sometimes you have to just sort of do the wrong thing to do the right thing yeah it's uh, always going to be one of those things that teams have to try and uh, battle against I guess and, and control uh, the other question I wanted to pull out was from uh, Aaron Bradbury who said with the, the talk about how cars use their tyres what can teams actually do when designing cars to try and mitigate high tyre wear and how much is down to conditions and the track and how much is down to the, the driver and, and the car and I guess in this question we should also differentiate between mitigating tyre wear and mitigating the degradation so of course the two different things that, that you're trying to do and usually actually degradation is more important than than wear when it comes to, to formula one not all the time as we've seen at silverstone but most of the time well there's there's sort of three things well four things really happen to tires i suppose you could say brand new um for qualifying you want to go out you want them to be able to warm up front and rear more or less to the same level so you get the same level of grip in that warm-up lap um and then you nail it and away you go Prior to that, you obviously heat them up in the blankets. There's a little bit of a tolerance in temperatures that you can use, um, but it's usually harder to get the fronts up to temperature because obviously you can spin the rears and put load into them very, very quickly. So the normal thing on a warm-up lap, the driver will put the, the brake balance well forward to get temperature into the front tyres or temperature into the front rims, which then translates it into the front tyres. On the rear, as I say, you can just use the throttle a little bit, a little bit of wheel spin, and then that will soak into the tyre. But you've got to be very, very careful because the tyres, the way they're made, um, you know, the rubber is, let's say it's matured up to a certain temperature in a big oven um, as such. And, you know, that temperature is less than the temperature you, you, you'll generate on the track. And if you can do that correctly, let's say, you know, these are theoretical numbers just, but let's say you, you the oven um, where the tyres are, are matured is 80 degrees, um, and if you heat them up to 80 degrees in the in the blankets, you haven't done them any harm. If you go out in the track and they go up to 100, 110 degrees on that first run, 
you have lots of grip. But during that period, the tire is actually maturing. It's, it's getting harder, basically. So, you know, you've got to be very careful that you don't overheat the blankets and actually mature the tire yourself because that will lose your performance on that one lap. But it will make a tire a harder compound tire as such by, a, by sort of one step. So you can do a lot of, of, di of difference to the tire preparation prior to them getting on the car. Um, so then, anyway, that one, that one lap for qualifying, the driver has to, you know, he wants a tire that just does everything he wants from it. Some circuits you have to look after a little bit because the, they might be overheating by the end of the lap, so, so you're overworking them a little bit. But normally there's no problems there. And then you get into the race, and you have what we've seen now is quite a few different problems. Obviously, degradation is a normal thing that we see at most tracks. Then at Silverstone 1, we saw the... Um, the tyre wear become a problem on the, on the left front. And then Silverstone 2, we saw blistering becoming more of a problem. And we can say, okay, the compounds are a step softer and all that sort of stuff. But in general, all the teams are using the same compound as such. Um, I think I think whenever you look at Max Verstappen using the hard tyre for, for Q2, so he started the race on the hard tyre, not only was he starting the race on a harder tyre, but it also given it a heat cycle during qualifying, which meant it was a hard tyre plus... So, you know, he was in a good position there. Whenever um, the Mercedes started on the medium tyre, and obviously they ran, they pitted very early for them, and I thought there's some problems going on here. They pitted to get onto the hard tyre because they could see Max was sitting behind them comfortably on the hard tyre. No problem whatsoever. Um, so, but when they put on their hard tyre, you know, they were doing fastest lap after fastest lap after fastest lap at the beginning. And the tyre's fresh, it's full of rubber, lots of rubber on there. That's whenever you blister a tyre because it can't dissipate that heat, and I believe that's what happened to them initially. They didn't they didn't um, recognise the fact that you know Max had done a load of laps on the tyres that were you know they were going all quite comfortably, but they went out and went too fast too quickly um, and blistered the tyres. So yeah, there's lots and lots of different things can happen to tyres, but the blistering I think is the the big thing from Silverstone too, um, and that I believe you can you can rectify that within the setup of the car. Um, you just need to make the the tyre do, I mean, a bit less wheel spin, obviously, because it was the rears that were blistering. The right front inside shoulder, which really does very little, was blistering. Um, that part of the tyre, when you're going around places like Cops or into the first part of um, Beckett's after Maggot's, uh, the, you know, the corner, long, long um, right-hand corners, Basically, you're dragging that little bit of tyre. It's doing nothing for you, but it's sliding a lot on the road, so it generates more heat. Um, so they need to look very closely at what's going on um, on the Mercedes to see why why it could have been them that suffered the problems more. But there are things within the design of the car that they can do for sure. But on top of that, the driver needs to drive what he's got. Um, if he overdrives what he's got, and I think you know that's what happened at the weekend as well. Both Mercedes guys were—they were obviously often, you know, they were running first and second. As far as they were concerned, at that point in time, when they changed for their first set of hard tires, they were on to be first and second in the race. But it didn't turn out that way, just from the fact that they didn't really look after their tires well enough in those initial stages. Yeah, and actually, if you listen in the race, a lot of the other drivers were being warned about you know, take it easy at the start of the hard stint to, to really try and control themselves. So that's, I think, why Verstappen starting on the hards was doubly important because he was able to put that pressure on, which is why I always think, even if you've got the car that fundamentally is slower, you always put the pressure on and ask the question. But 
Let's move on to more wider topics. And I think we've got to start with the Racing Point situation with the, with the brake ducts. Obviously, there was an 8,500 word verdict from the stewards on that that found the rear brake ducts to be illegally designed, but not illegal. They're te- by the technical regulations, are illegal, and the front brake ducts were fine. Now, you've, you've waded through that document as, as I have. Um, they're never the most clearly written things, I would say. But um, yeah, having digested it, what do you make of, of that whole situation? And also, the thing that surprised me was that Racing Point hadn't made sure that they used the rear brake ducts last year because I thought they'd be right on both. But as they'd not used the rear brake ducts, they weren't effectively grandfathered into being allowed to be built on. So but what did you think of that whole thing and, and that point specifically? Well, there's been a huge amount said about it. And obviously, you know, their car is completely legal technically. Technical regulations is not, not in question as far as this is concerned. Everything there complies with that. It's the sporting regulations and, and sort of the intention of the sporting regulations to a certain extent. Now, I know that doesn't exist in Formula 1. A very, a very interesting point on that. I just had to break in. There was a little bit note in the stewards document where they said they use French law uh, to do this. And actually, they say in French law, there's a principle that you always take an interpretation that is favourable to the intent of what the rules are rather than trying to frustrate it. It was just an interesting little note because I, because that's the first time I've actually seen in an F1 context something that, that points to a, almost the a spirit of the regulations thing. But I just thought it was worth mentioning. Yeah, no, no, it is worth mentioning. And, and again, I'm, I'm looking at it from an overall point of view. Um, you know, the, the, each team's objective is to be competitive. And Racing Point decided, you know, at some point in time last year, that they were down a blind alley with their car concept and the best thing to do would be look at the, the cars around you and see where you where you which car you copy. Obviously the Mercedes has won championships for the last few years, so there's no big drama in, in deciding that. Um but you'd have to say the Red Bull were, you know, nearer to Mercedes or nearer to um Racing Point's concept. You know, so if you're gonna look at something with the same mental philosophy as you have, you'd look at the car that was doing it, they were doing a very good job at the end of last season, but obviously that's too late to start to copy it. Um, but you'd also look at the car that's come from the same sort of mental family, I suppose you might call it. Um, so I, I I don't like that personally because I've we've all taken pictures and we've all tried to understand what other people are doing and what it, how it works. Um, and that's you know my book that's fine. Or picked up magazines and looked at them and saw pictures, or watched on TV and saw pictures and thought, oh yeah, look at that, that's interesting. But, you know, to take it to the letter of the law the way it's been, you know, so the brake ducts is the, is the peak of the iceberg, I suppose you might call it. You, you know, it's it's the thing that you really can't see. It's very, very difficult to see. Um, and I do genuinely believe that if Racing Point didn't use them in competition in 2019, then that is a component that's been designed for 2020. And 2020, you cannot use another team's design or component because of the way the regulations are written. Now, the regulations are a little bit weakly written in that area, whatever, but they all sat down and agreed that they didn't want customer cars. They wanted every team to have its own identity. And this was the list of bets that you had to do yourself. Um, they all agreed that. Long time, in 2018, I think it was firstly put on the table. Um, so it's there. Everybody knows about it. Um, and now, you know, whatever the consequences are going to be, um, somebody has to stand up and take that on the chin. Yeah, this is the strange thing because they legitimately had all the Mercedes CAD models for the brake ducts because that was fine to have that for, for 19. 
the stewards verdict said that when it came, the time came for them to design their their 2020 car because they they'd not used the rear brake ducts last year because it didn't fit in with their concept but they had used the front but when it came to design their 2020 car they then fished out the mercedes cad models and, and worked from there and that that seems to me to be the problem and obviously yes the problem originated with the FIA not really thinking about this situation with brake ducts going from non-listed parts to listed parts. But my reading of it is that Racing Point probably knew they were pulling a bit of a fast one with the uh, with the rear brake ducts. They knew it was not explicitly banned, but I think they knew they were being a little bit dodgy. That's why they didn't ask for a clarification. And this is the thing that leaves a little bit of a sour taste in, for me in that they've, they've tried to pull a little bit of a fast one. It's not kind of explicitly explicitly illegal that's why the punishment of just 15 points and 400,000 euros is quite mild and they can continue to use them but then you see the statement from Lawrence Stroll about you know the integrity of the teams beyond question Pull, pulling in the the heritage of the team as well which of course you had a big a huge part in uh, in creating and and I found it that was the point where I sort of lost quite a lot of sympathy or it just for me it just seemed quite an entitled thing it's like you've had a little bit of a go I don't necessarily blame them for trying that but They've then they've they've been caught out, and then they're having a go at everyone for protesting them. Notwithstanding the fact he's had a go at other teams for protesting and followed due protest or for uh, appealing the decision, when he is, his own team has appealed the decision. So you know either both sides could appeal or or neither can. It just seemed a very entitled and slightly tone deaf statement to me. Um, yes, I mean uh, the thing is I, I do I do stand by the philosophy as you can't you know unlearn what you've learned. Um, when you get a bit older like me, you can forget a lot that you learn, but you can't, <laughs> you can't unlearn what you've learned. And, and the front brake ducts, I think, are a typical example of that. They they are, you know, theoretically a copy of the Mercedes brake ducts in 2019, but they used them on the circuit in 2019. They saw they functioned. They understood the function of the brake ducts. That was all part of understanding. So if you used it in 2019 and you took that same piece of kit, albeit, more or less a copy of a 2019 um, Mercedes brake duct, which you were allowed 100% to do, and you redesigned it. You just changed a few little bits and pieces here, there, whatever. That's that's developing a product that you've had on the track and used. It's not just something out of the blue pop. Here we go. Oh, look at that. There's a brake duct. Oh, it's really good, isn't it? And the rear one's not like that. That wasn't designed and manufactured in 19. It wasn't used in 19, so to actually design it during 19, I suppose at the end of 19, to use in 20, was not correct. Um, the rear suspension on the, on the um, racing point is the 2019 rear suspension, Mercedes rear suspension, the gearbox, etc. Because obviously Mercedes have changed direction this, in 2020 with their rear suspension layout and geometry. So you know, they're using 2019 a system on the back of the of the back of the racing point, as far as I know. Um, so it's only right that they would have they would use, and the most practical thing would be to use the the 2019 Mercedes brake duct because it's so complicated and around that suspension area to to fit something. You know, why not use that? But it's illegal. They all sat down and, and decided this was not a part. This is an aerodynamic surface part, so it needs to be designed by the team. You need to have your own IP, intellectual property for it. You need to think about it. You need to put it through all the design stages and all the research stages, and you end up with a product in the car. And I can't see how that happened. There's many other parts in the car I might question as well, but I'm just saying I'm not a great believer. You either have customer cars or you don't. 
There's, there's no fine line between it. Forget about it all. If you have customer cars, that's great. Everybody, everybody be lined up at either Milton Keynes or, or down in Brackley to buy chassis from Red Bull or from, um, from Mercedes. Um, but that's not the way it is. The way it is at the minute, aerodynamic surface, just to generalize, aerodynamic surfaces, so what we see should be designed by the individual teams. The stewards' verdict did say that reverse engineering designs from photographs is perfectly legal, and there's, there was nothing the stewards have said to suggest anything about the rest of the car was illegal. Uh, we, we should certainly say that, and that there are measures that they want to put in place to cut back on on this copying. But that, that's quite an interesting question, because uh, Nicholas Tombasis, the FI head of single-seater technical matters, has said, yeah, we're going to do this to try and cut back on copying. But that's actually quite a tricky one, isn't it? Because it's one of those principles you can get behind. You can say, yeah, you shouldn't be able to copy other people's cars. But where does where does copying begin? Because obviously, if uh, an example one one reader gave was, well, does that, would that mean that if it applied in 1968, nobody could copy a, a wing because uh, because Lotus was the first? Obviously, a big concept like that, you can't. So, can you see a rule being created that would that would make it possible to uh, to prevent another team purely based on the visual information? copying what others have done i i don't i don't see how you would do that because in, in general the way the regulations are um very tight within what you you can do and where you can put stuff on the cars i mean they look different the cars but the regulations are still so tight so i think you know many many people would struggle if the cars all changed their colors if a you know mercedes became red and red bull became white or whatever you know, people would look at it twice before you'd recognise what chassis it was. And that's just because of the regulations. I mean, you would pick it out if you knew anything about it. But in general, it's it's like road cars. You have to look at them twice now to see what, what make it is, to be honest. So I, I don't know how you'd write a regulation for that because um, it is just, is it 1% different? Or is it 2, 5, 10% difference that a surface has to be or whatever? You know, the, the FIA scan all the cars. Um, and so they have highlighted points that they can pick up, mainly to check if it, you know, the car is the same components are on the car from you know previous races or whatever. So they scan the cars fairly well to to check the legality of them all. So you could use that, and you could say, right, I'll give you a percentage of surface area. But then the regulations mean you have to be so close anyway, because of what you can do. So I don't know how you can do that. You can have a the intention is that everybody does it, but the intention is just not, never going to be adhered to. So. I think no, we're in a we're in a tricky little area, and it will allow. It means that definitely somebody has to think about how they go forward because at the moment it's a bit of a stalemate. Really, there's a lot of there's a lot of bad feeling down the pit lane. I think you might call it um, between between lots of different teams, and that's that's never a good position to be in. To be honest, because it'll always there'll always be a battle going on. The battle should be on the racetrack, you know, from. Two drivers driving your cars against two drivers from another team. That's where the battle should take place and not in the courtroom and not not in the back of the paddock with the trucks and arguing and fighting between team principals and saying how, how good you are and how, how loyal you are to legality and whatever. Those things need to be addressed on the racetrack by, by going racing. Yeah, and there's, uh, there's an awful lot of horse trading that will be going on in the background. Obviously, we can't rule out the fact that some of these protests uh, or the, the, the appeals against the, the verdict might be dropped between us recording this and, uh, and it being released in that short gap. Uh, so if that changes, uh, that's, that's just timing catching us out. But yeah, the, the, I guess the positive thing is that actually 
there, there's several things. The brake duct thing was a unique situation with something moving from non-listed to listed parts. So that problem can be sorted for the future. And there is actually quite a long time to sort this out unusually because next year's cars are carried over. You know, you're not going to, you can't change enough to kind of copy another car, shall we say, because you're you're locked in with a lot of things. You can change your aero surfaces, yes, but a lot of other things you can't. And then we've got the new rules. So nobody nobody will be able to see anyone else's car until those are out. So actually, the next time it, it sort of becomes a big deal is when people start to work on the, the 2023 cars. So there is a little bit of time, but doubtless F1 will find a way to waste all that time and get it wrong because that always seems to be <laughs> always seems to be the way. But there's the opportunity there, isn't there? Yeah, the, the cycle now for the next couple of years is, is certainly going to eliminate um, the potential for copying. But from photographs, it will never eliminate the potential for having information from another team if that ever does happen because you know that that's you, you can you can build four cars instead of two but that would clearly be against the against the regulations so that's what has to be stamped out now for the future for the 20, 2022 process definitely stamp out any technical assistance outside of this these parameters from from one team to another because it's it's got too near everybody's got too close to be honest with these um, engine and gearbox and suspension and the relationships between teams so you know i think um, gunter steiner's a good guy to talk about talk to about this because he, you know he's their whole team philosophy is about relationship with ferrari for good or for bad but that's their whole philosophy that's how they exist so he's a pretty good guy at at, at, at sort of talking about what's what can happen and what could happen but there's two parties there's Haas and there's Ferrari that have to abide by that um could happen and can happen not just one of those two sides you know you have to you have to both want to do that so he's a good good candidate to to talk to about how you'd write a regulation for it yeah maybe that's a question we can uh, we can put to him uh, on Thursday in Spain of course we've got the Spanish Grand Prix coming up uh, that this uh, this weekend at which point, obviously, you've been looking into some of the performances we've seen this year. When we get to Spain, it's always a good moment. By a quirk of fate, the Spanish Grand Prix happens to be in the same place on the calendar as it would have been in the original calendar. It's the sixth race. And it's always a great chance to look at the performance. Now we've got enough races to get some relatively meaningful averages. Look at the testing performance. Obviously, you've done that for a, for a piece on the, on the race uh, website, which uh, probably won't quite, but won't won't be live by the time uh, people initially start to listen to this. But it will appear fairly shortly, possibly on the, on the Thursday. So, so, what did you you find there? There was it was very interesting to uh, to see who was uh, I think de- deluding themselves most in testing. I think was the phrase you used. Yeah, it is. I mean, we've all. I've been there. You run a car, and and you know you want to you want to get a good lap time. And how much fuel do you put in it? You know, that's one of the things. The thing about these cars now is that you you can't run the car. You can't run the car illegally. You can't run the car under weight because it's tough enough to get to get them on the weight limit. So there's there's nothing else you can do. But within the parameters of the car, you can either run the engine flat tack, which the engine company won't allow you to do much in testing. Or you can run the car lower fuel. There's no, no other magic to it. You know, if you can do a lap time around Barcelona, then you can do a lap time around Barcelona. So the only difference really is the fuel load. And having the fuel load low at the right time with a set of fresh tires is, you know, will give you lap time. So that's what I call deluded. You know, you're, you're deluding yourself. And again, if you, if you do it and believe it, you're going to end up getting caught out at some point in time. And there's a few teams, as you see in my, my list that have, 
that you know have deluded themselves, and that that gives you a false you know on and long term if you don't actually if you're not honest with yourself that can give you a false sense of security when you head into the season because you think well that wasn't too bad was it because we know that Mercedes were running on the you know the sniff of an oily rag they don't they don't know that they only know what they were doing so at the end of the day you get to your first race of the season normally Melbourne this time Austria and it's all down to the fact of you know that's honest come qualifying everybody's using high um, engine modes and they're they're using low fuel and they're using new tires that's whenever all the reality really strikes back and gets you so we've looked at that closely the thing about Spain this weekend um, it's probably going to be very hot um, you know there's nothing strange happens I would imagine it's going to be very very hot my daughter's dog's just walked in here um, it's going to be very very hot so that'll be a completely different uh, deal on the tires um, it's the three hardest tires that are taken there so it will be different from testing for sure it's always different when you go back even whenever we tested in you know February before and we went back in whatever it is beginning of May um, as a normal season the track was always different it just had that heat soak into it that meant the track temperature was just it was higher but it was more consistent it wasn't cool in the morning and, and hot midday and cool in the evening it just had that heat soak so it will change things quite dramatically but again looking at the the, the first races of this season, comparing it to 2019, comparing it to testing, um, you can see a trend through there that, that says the people that are in trouble are in trouble, and the, the quick guys are are the quick guys. You know, it's sort of black and white really, but it's um, it's interesting to see when those changes happened. Did they happen for testing? Did they happen since testing? And there's really a, a good indication that some people have gone the wrong direction. To be honest. It's interesting to note as well the how representative testing was because we know Mercedes obviously didn't didn't show its hand and and that's kind of stretched the spread of the uh, the performance. But it's interesting to note Racing Point and McLaren were probably the two that were closest to the representative gap. They were both under point were under point three percent out, shall we say? Whereas everyone else was was more than half a percent out, or in some cases way more than that. I think Alpha Romeo were the most out, one point nine percent. I mean, we knew Alpha had had gone pretty much flat out so we knew, we knew they were struggling and we were expecting them to be at the back but it's it's interesting to see who who created the most sort of fair uh fair comparison should, should we say and it's it's also complicated by the fact that it's been such a messy picture this year particularly in terms of the ranking order because there've been a lot of obviously we've we've had quite a quite a dramatic change in circuit characteristics in the in the three tracks we've been to so far as well which partly explains that but it's uh, it's still a, it's still a a slightly messy pitch. You couldn't decisively say with 100% certainty which is, for example, the third best car at this stage. You, you couldn't, know. And as I say, one of the interesting things is the, the fact that you can see the teams that went about their job. You know, they, they didn't try create an artificial picture in testing and, and they're in the same sort of relative position now. So it's nice to see that because that's, that's teams that have got a, a good outlook. They've got a good, you know, a good view of where they're trying to get to. Um, and the others gone went the opposite way, like like Alfa Romeo, as you say. But the um, I suppose the big thing is knowing when people can add developments to the car when when they come in. And I think that you know one of the things I said in my article is Red Bull. I think they looked like they had a better car in um, in preseason testing than they have now. The car might be faster, and they have just won a race, but the car looked better in preseason testing relatively to me. Um, and I, I'm 
I think that some of the directions they've taken, they may have made the car um, faster, but I think they might have made the car harder, tougher to drive. Um, so that's a difficult thing to understand, really. Ferrari have just gone backwards a bit. They went backwards from the end of last season to, to pre-season test, and they went backwards a bit more um, for the first uh, the, the race averages. So, you know, that's sort of black and white. But, you know, you take Red Bull. Obviously, they look after the tyres very well. The last two races, they've looked after the tyres very well. Um, Silverstone 1 was a bit of a question mark over their strategy, but... At the end of the day, they did what they did, and, and they got a good result out of it. Yes, hindsight, they could have won the race if they hadn't done that, but they also could have ended up with the front tyre exploded. Don't think they would have had, because the tyre apparently looked okay, other than a few cuts in it. And we're pretty confident now those tyre problems were wear and not cuts. Um, so it's all a bit of a grey area still, to be honest. And I think it's part of the fact of who during the coronavirus period of not racing, actually did anything to the car, did any, did any developments. Yeah, and, and Barcelona this weekend should give us quite a good idea of that. It'll be a nice uh, a nice extra set of data, particularly after qualifying. I'm sure you'll have a, you'll have a good look at, at uh, what we see there compared to what we've seen, uh, we've seen so far. But it's, it, it is quite good for the season overall, the fact that it is so close in that... I mean, the, the midfield packs, or in qualifying, the midfield pack is pretty much everyone, isn't it? Because the Red Bull qualifying pace is uh, still a bit of a struggle uh, overall. Verstappen should have been third, really. He he didn't have a particularly good lap by his standards in, in Q3. But it's uh, it's very, very messy. And we keep seeing you know, McLaren, Renault, Ferrari, Racing Point have all had points where they've been kind of at the front of that that, that group or threatening to be an AlphaTauri even. Um, has, has popped up a few times, not quite at the front of it, but you know, Gasly was seventh in qualifying at Silverstone. So it's uh, it's, it's yet to, to settle down. But do you think there's any chance that we could see Red Bull sustain this this kind of form? We know the car, when things are normal, is not as quick as the Mercedes. Verstappen's hanging on in there in the championship. He's 30 points behind. You know, it's, it's not a, it's not exactly close, but it's it's only just over a win. So I always think when... You, when you're within a win, you're very much in contention, I, I always think, as a, uh, in terms of the swing. So do you think Red Bull will be able to do enough in enough time or could Mercedes have enough problems in races starting this weekend where it's going to be very warm for Red Bull to be able to actually make Verstappen a genuine title contender or do you think that's just hoping for a few too many helpful circumstances? Well, I think what we have to look at is the, you know, the first race of the season was a DNF for Verstappen. So he lost potentially, you know, what would it be, maybe 18 probably at worst 15 points um, and that, so that 30 point would be 15 now if he, if he just finished third there which I'm sure he had the speed to do um, Mercedes or Lewis Hamilton the championship leader you know he hasn't he's done the best he can I mean the weekend he was um, he was second the weekend the week before that with a with no front tire left front tire he was he won it so they haven't had that black and white DNF will they ever ha- will they have one who knows I think that I think that Red Bull w- will focus a little bit on the fact that if they do the job okay on a Saturday, they're going to end up on the on the front two rows because that's where they should be. Um, and I think if they do that, they'll they'll be okay because I think they will focus quite a lot on making sure that they exploit the best part of the car, which I think at the minute is the race and the race is where you get the points at. So as long as they can be competitive enough to not fall behind. P4 on the grid, I think they would be happy on Saturday. And that gives them an opportunity to keep the pressure on on Mercedes on the Sunday. 
And the thing is that, you know, Mercedes were the ones, two of their cars wore out the left front tyre. Two of their cars were blistering tyres like you can't believe. And, and what's called the, the pink Mercedes was another one with Hulkenberg that had tyre blisters. So they are using the tyres the, the harder than the Red Bull, for sure. And I think, you know, Verstappen, his radio message is, is, is rubbing it in a little bit, to be honest. He likes doing that, I think. You know, you have to, mentally, you have to get to somebody who's saying, well, my tyres are fine, no problem. And you see the blisters on the other guys. So he's good at that, and I think that's what he'll keep doing. And I think his mentality is that, you know, he will focus on a Sunday because he knows where that's where the points are. Pole position would be great if he can get one, but I think they will, as a team and as him, he'll really focus on Sundays. Yeah, all they can do is is just keep asking the question, can't they, and make sure they're there. Well, we'll have plenty of coverage from Barcelona. We'll, of course, be back next week for more from Gary, looking back at that weekend and drawing some of the big technical stories out there. But I'm, I imagine we'll learn plenty, particularly about the question we just discussed about whether Red Bull can be a genuine uh, title threat. Uh, so do head to the race.com website and don't forget the hyphen. Plenty from Gary and the rest of the team there. Also check out our other podcast, the Race F1 podcast. Also bring back V10s, uh, which tells retro F1 stories, which both myself and Gary occasionally turn up on. They've never had us on the same episode. I think people have enough of us talking to each other. So uh, so we, we haven't been uh, on the same one, but that that's being restarted. So if you haven't heard our first series where we look back at all sorts of stories, Alan Prost falling out with Ferrari, Damon Hill almost winning the uh, the Hungarian Grand Prix, the Ferrari struggles in uh, 2005. So that, there's loads of stories there and we've got another season coming up, which we're always excited about. And check out our YouTube channel as well. Just search for the race. We'll be back after Barcelona for more tech talk from Gary. Gary.